our gospel lesson this morning picks up about a week after the birth. We find ourselves in the second chapter of Luke's gospel, continuing on uh, in verses 22 through 40. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the, to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the, in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, or of, of the tribe of Asher. And she was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Gracious God, open our ears that we may hear your truth. Open our eyes that we may see your kingdom. And open our hearts and minds that we might know the cries of our brothers and sisters who are hurting and hungry and sometimes even dying without the knowledge of your love for them. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, by now I would imagine that all the presents have been unwrapped. All the gifts have been exchanged and we have watched with amusement as the children turned to playing with the boxes that the presents came in more than they were with the presents themselves. Some of us were busy cooking for the family gathering and or cleaning and getting ready to welcome relatives from far and near. Others have been the ones to do the traveling, to be with friends and family, and there are even more folks who are alone or who for one reason or another could not be with family during the Christmas holidays. Now, while I really struggle to imagine anyone actually having that Norman Rockwell Christmas, I know of people who really get stressed out having, about having the 
perfect holiday celebration. And really, just what is the perfect holiday celebration? The form of our current Christmas celebration didn't even exist some 200 years ago. What was originally intended to be a celebration of the joy that came into the world through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has become a time of extreme stress for many people. But why does it have to be this way? How can we recover the joy that was experienced in our readings this morning? Can you hear the joy from Isaiah as he says that he will greatly rejoice in the Lord with his whole being? For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. But what about the great joy expressed by the psalmist as he calls all the earth to praise the Lord? Kings of earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above heaven and earth. Israel had been under the yoke of oppression for many years when Jesus was born, when the fullness of time had come. Fullness of time. What does that mean? Well, it means perfect timing. It absolutely amazes me how God works, not only in the individual lives of men and women, but in time itself, past, present, and future as well. How God works everything together just boggles the mind. A few years ago, a friend of mine named Betty Newman from up in Kodak, Tennessee, just outside of Sevierville, wrote an essay that she entitled, From Malachi to Matthew. And I want to share just a little bit of an excerpt from that essay with her permission. She writes, in speaking of the 400 silent years between Malachi and Matthew, yes, God may have been silent, but that does not mean that he was not at work. The Babylonians carried the children of Israel into exile, but it was during that period that the books of the Bible were compiled and the synagogue system of worship was created. The Persians allowed the Israelites to return to their homeland. Then the temple was rebuilt and temple worship re was reinstated. The Greeks under Alexander the Great brought the Greek culture of Hellenization to the world. This brought a way of life trade, diplomacy, and more importantly, the Greek language. And it became the language of commerce and thus the language of the world. And then the Romans under the Caesars were geniuses at movement and engineering. They created a system of roads whereby the whole world could travel. It's into this setting that what Galatians 4 uh, four calls the fullness of time, when the whole known world could travel and could communicate that we find, which by the way was written some 700 years beforehand, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, all just at the perfect time. Well, it was at that perfect time that Simeon and Anna could be found in the temple. They were both very righteous and devout people. 
It's been revealed to Simeon that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. Mary and Joseph had come to the temple for Jesus to be circumcised according to the law and so that Mary could be purified. And as they came, they offered a sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons as it was stated in the law of the Lord. When Simeon saw the child, he took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now the gospel tells us that Mary and Joseph were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. A prophetic message, if there ever was one. When Anna became aware of the child, she began praising God and speaking of the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And the both of them were experiencing the joy that this child would bring while also being aware of the hope and the promise that would come through him. The rituals that they followed were part of the life pattern. A pattern that taught that God was to be honored at all times and in all things. The ritualistic bonds of society were what held their society together through good and bad. But unfortunately, in our modern culture, we've lost all semblance of ritual in the lives of most Christians. Busy schedules, dual career marriages, and after school activities mean that family eat fewer meals together. Prayer before meals and family Bible study are observed in fewer homes today than even just a generation ago. For many people in this increasingly secular society, religious rituals are, redu are reduced to church attendance at Christmas and Easter and to socially required ceremonies at births, weddings, and funerals. The marking of both daily and special events with rituals that recognize the sacredness of life and the presence of God in everyday life is practically extinct. This has led to an, uh, to an assumption that God is found only in certain places like in sacred buildings, in holy books, or in observances led by holy people. Friends, we've lost the sense of mystery. And we've lost the sense that God is with us throughout our daily life. And as a result, I believe that we've lost a sense of hope as the fabric that's held our communities and our families together has disintegrated. For the past few years, we've dealt with a worldwide crisis unlike anything that most of us have ever seen before. As our economic house has been shaken from a faltering foundation that tends to place profit ahead of people, people are finding an emptiness in their life. But unlike our ancestors who had the rituals of faith to fall back on, they don't even know where to turn. And that's where we need to be prepared to step in. It's imperative, I believe, that we as people who claim the faith of Jesus share the joy that comes from our relationship with the living Christ, not by beating people over the head with a Bible, but by living our lives as a testament to our faith, a faith that I hope gives you comfort and strength. I believe that we need to rediscover our rituals. Rituals that remind us that God is present not only in the celebrations, but in the mundane 
parts of life as well. You know, Daryl, last night, made reference to that, made an oblique reference to this. As we've become more attuned to a society where, where frankly, these things, these slave drivers, as I call my phone, uh, and the tablets and all these things tend to cause us to, dis to be disconnected from one another. We're in our own little world, it seems, so much of the time. How many of us have found ourselves sitting in restaurants and, look and just noticing people? I don't know if any of y'all do this. I, I, well, I'm waiting on, on, the, 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 on my food to get to the table. I'll look around the restaurant and see what other people are doing. Not because I'm nosy, I'm just being observant. And how many times, if you do that, will you see people sitting with their head buried in their phone? You know, we used to have conversation. We used to be able to, to carry on conversations with one another and, and stay interested in, every, in each other's lives. Now, if it's not on that thing in front of us, we're not even aware of what's going on. That's one way that we've become disconnected. I think another way that we've become disconnected is, is that too, too often, I believe that the church has failed. I believe that those of us in leadership in the church have failed in keeping our rituals in front of people. For many years, the trend has been for, for, for worship to move away from the rituals. Well, not even, you know, just moving away from the rituals, going with the, with the songs that are two or three verses repeated seven or eight times. Well, even then, there's a ritual happening. There's an order of worship that's happening. It's just not written. Walk into some of those services, and you know you're going to hear five. You're going to hear five praise songs, and the preacher's going to get up and preach for a while, and then they're going to take the offering. And that's a ritual, in a way. It's just not. It's just not identified as that. How often, when we, for example, how often, when we're dealing with a celebration of life, a funeral or service of death and resurrection as we refer to it in the, in the Methodist church. How often do we find comfort in things like the 23rd Psalm? I know I always try to incorporate that Psalm because it is something that at least folks in my generation and, and above are familiar with. We learned it in the King James Version. Because folks didn't trust the, the Revised Standard Version when I was growing up. But it brings comfort. You know, the Psalms were the hymn book of the Bible. The Psalter is what the cantor would sing in the synagogue, in 
and in the temple worship. We would have rituals in, that we would follow in baptisms, rituals that we would follow in, cert, in, in certain areas of our life that would bring comfort to us, that would bring us together as followers of Christ. And I think by de-emphasizing those rituals that we've lost something essential to our faith. Not only to our faith, but to our worship. I believe that when we truly discover this truth about rediscovering our rituals, for ourselves. When we re rediscover the sense of awe and wonder that filled the shepherds and the wise men, then we can face our hectic lives with joy in our hearts. Joy that comes from knowing the source of that joy, the light of the living Christ that lives within each of us. A joy that comes only in the fullness of time. Then and only then, I believe we can say with conviction, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We invite you to visit our website at mcfarlandumc.org to learn more about our church and the ministries that we provide to the Rossville and East Lake communities around Chattanooga. May God's blessings be yours.